We're going to turn to Scripture, so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read from verses 22 and 23, and it's going to come up on the screen behind me, or if you've got your Bible, you might want to open it up there. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When, they, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And so this morning, I want to zoom right in today on that moment of truth for Peter, that moment when Peter obeyed Jesus' command to come and took a step onto the water and to see what this teaches us about the steps that we're challenged to take, those moments of truth that we face in our lives. Now, a bit of background on the story before we delve in. The disciples and Jesus had been having a long and busy day when things had been going wrong. Has anyone ever experienced a day like that? Yeah, I I experienced them quite a lot. Um, And actually, at the beginning of this day, Jesus had heard the news about his cousin John the Baptist, who had been beheaded And he was in mourning. We learn earlier in the chapter, it says that Jesus withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And in fact, the disciples themselves would probably have been in mourning too. Two of them, Andrew and John, we know for sure, were disciples of John before they became disciples of Jesus. So they would have probably not been in a great place emotionally. And then after this news, um, when Jesus retreated to a solitary place, suddenly the crowds hear that he's retreated, so they follow him. And if, if crowds of people have followed me after I was in mourning or heard some bad news, I would just be, not want to have anything to do with them. I'd say, go away, I don't need you. But Jesus, it says, um, saw them and had compassion on the crowd, despite his feelings. And so this crowd gathered and they followed and they followed. And then we eventually find out that they needed food. And so we have that great miracle, the miracle of the 5,000. What a brilliant miracle it was. And I'm sure it would have been tiring. If anyone here has ever done an event where you require lots of catering and logistics, perhaps it's a wedding or something like that, you know how tired you can get, yeah? And so the disciples, I'm sure, would have been extremely tired uh, having to do that. And they would have been exhilarated, but it would have been tiring. And then we find this moment after they fed the 5,000, when Jesus commanded, it says in the Bible, or here it says in our version, made the disciples. In other versions, it said compelled the disciples to get into a boat and cross the lake while Jesus went up a mountainside to pray. Effectively, Jesus sent the disciples who were tired physically and emotionally, they were drained, into a storm. Wow. 
Now, Jesus doesn't promise that life's going to be easy. And sometimes he sends us into a storm and it can be tough and we can feel physically and emotionally drained. And some of you even today might be feeling that. You might be feeling, man, it feels like I'm in a storm. And sometimes Jesus sends us into a storm. And so all of this is the backdrop to Peter's moment in truth. And as they go on to that lake, this storm kicks up and it says that the boat was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. In Mark's version of the story, in Mark 6.48, it says that the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. In other words, it says they were harassed in rowing. And elsewhere, in another version, it says that the boat was tormented by the waves. So these words describe the fact that this was no ordinary storm. This was a huge, huge storm. And not only that, but the challenge in the storm was prolonged. It wasn't just a momentary uh, storm, but it was prolonged. It says that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them. Now, in Roman times, the Romans used four watches during the night, and the fourth watch would have been somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Now, they'd been sent early in the evening, so we would imagine they'd been sent probably about 6 or 7 p.m. So they were sent, and they were rowing on these oars for the best part of 10 to 12 hours. Wowzers. And they, it says elsewhere that they'd only traveled three miles. So three miles in 10 hours is not a very long way. And so it was into that context, into the context of a storm that Peter makes his step. And so this morning, I want to ask three questions simply, and they are these. Firstly, why take a step, particularly when conditions are like that? Secondly, what stops us from taking a step? And lastly, what do we learn when we take a step? So firstly, why take a step? Now, you'll be pleased to know that my answer to this question is very short, and it's by far the shortest of my three points. And it's this, why take a step? Growth. Very simply, we take a step because we want to grow. Now, I don't know when you first started walking. I don't know if you can remember, but I first started walking when I was 16 months old. That's pretty late, pretty old, compared to lots of people. And my two sons have followed suit. They've kind of been slow to get walking. Now, the the even more surprising thing is that I didn't even crawl. So I basically just sat there like a lump for the best part of 16 months, eating food. And then all of a sudden, I kind of sat there, looked at my parents, and thought to myself, ah, I might as well just start doing it, and got up and started walking. Now, imagine if I'd never decided to take a step, or imagine if I'd never decided to start speaking. I just gone and thought wow that's all I'll do why because it makes things easier I don't have to engage with anyone I don't have to converse with anyone I won't get into any arguments I can just sit on my own and going blah 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 and it would be lovely but the thing is I would not if I didn't take a step or start speaking grow and I wouldn't develop and so growth is what this passage is essentially all about when Peter took a step out onto the water Even though the results of his endeavor were mixed, he ended up growing in his journey of faith. So why take a step? To grow. Secondly, secondly, what stops us taking a step? Now, the things that prevent us taking a step, I'm going to call growth inhibitors. And you could draw out loads of growth inhibitors from this passage alone. Loads of reasons why you would think, I don't want a step. But I'm just going to draw out two from this passage today. And the first one is the most obvious, 
And it's the most prevalent with most people. And it's this, fear. The first growth inhibitor, the first reason we don't take a step is because we are afraid. Going back to the advert we watched at the start, the biggest thing that was threatening to stop people moving into their moment of truth, the biggest thing that stops us moving into our moment of truth and the majority of the disciples stepping into their moment of truth was fear. And when fear presents itself to us, as it often does, who here never fears? Anyone never fear? Oh, someone vaguely put their hand up there. Who, who, who here fears frequently? I know I do. I know often I, will, I experience fear multiple times a day, and some days I feel gripped by fear. And the thing is, uh, in those moments, uh, we have a ch- two choices. Firstly, we have the choice to take a step. And what does that mean? Well, it means usually we will grow. Secondly, we retreat into comfort. We just do the things that are straightforward, the things that make life easy, the things that don't challenge me. I just keep in my comfort zone. And what is the result when we do that? Well, the result is that we begin to shrink, as you can see on the diagram behind me. So what happens in our story? Well, one disciple, Peter, takes a step and 11 disciples retreat into relative comfort. Now, I say relative comfort because, as I've just described to you, they were in a humongous storm, and I'm sure the boat wouldn't have been the most comfortable place to be. You'd have been, they'd have been up and down and like, whoa! But compared to stepping out onto the water and potentially drowning, it was comfortable. Now, most people, most of the time, are like most of the disciples, if we're honest. We choose to retreat into the relative comfort of our boats because we fear we stay in our comfort zone. And this is why you find Jesus time and time and time again saying to the disciples, and we read it in this passage, do not fear. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, why does Jesus say this so much to the disciples? Well, a man called John Altberg puts it very well when he said, my hunch is that the reason God says fear not so much is not that he wants us to be spared emotional discomfort, In fact, usually he says it to get people to do something that is going to lead them into greater fear anyway. I think Jesus says fear not so often because fear is the number one reason human beings are tempted to avoid doing what God asks them to do. In other words, God loves you, is so passionate about you, and so wants you to come into everything that he's called you to be and to do, that he says to you, do not fear. Walk, take a step, because he wants you to develop. He wants you to become the person he's called you to be. And that's why he says, do not fear. Now, I don't know if you found that, found this, but the annoying thing about fear is that it doesn't go away. Have you found that? It doesn't seem to go away. And the writer, Susan Jeffers, who wrote a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, which I love. I love that. That's a great title for a book. She said this, the fear will never go away as long as I continue to grow. Why? Because each time I want to grow, it will involve going into new territory, taking on new challenges. And each time I do that, I will experience fear again. Each time you get out of the boat, you become a little more likely to get out the boat the next time. It's not that the fear goes away, but that you get used to living with the fear And you realize that it does not have the power to control or destroy you. And yet, on the other hand, 
every time you resist that voice to come, every time you choose to stay in the boat rather than heed its call, the voice gets a little quieter in you. And then at last you don't hear its call at all and that would be a real shame, wouldn't it? If we kept resisting, I I can't do it anymore. I've just been burnt too many times. It's it's just too, too tough. I'm in a storm. It's too much. I can't. I just can't. I can't go again. I can't. I'm just going to ignore the call to come. I'm going to walk away. What a shame that would be. God wants us to grow and to develop. Philip, Holland Clark, come here. Philip Colin Clark, he's a big, strong man, isn't he, don't you think? He's a big, strong man, yeah, 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 very strong man, yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you about a story about a little girl, here she is. No, 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 he's not the, the girl, he's a pair of scales. Now, on these scales, we have these words, uh, let's get this one up, all right, stick out your arm, there we go, fear, there we go, trust. Now, I didn't tell Philip about this, but I'm just going to do a little test for you. All right, here's a bunch of books. Uh, now, can you carry these in one, hi- one hand? All right, now you're going to have to stay up. Like, right, you're going to lean down like a scale would, so pretend you're a scale. How's that? Is it heavy? All right, I'll try not to take too long. I'll try not to take too long. Now, you can, you can cheat for the moment if it's too much. It's fine. Now, there's a little girl. I'm going to tell you a story. There's a little girl. She's about to jump into a swimming pool And her dad's in the swimming pool. And he's saying, come, jump. She's two and a half. What is she facing? Fear. Fear. The dreaded fear. She's facing fear. She's two and a half. The water's cold. I'm two and a half. I've never done this before. What if he drops me? I might drown. I've never learned how to swim. I'm two and a half. Fear. What does she do? Well, she looks at her daddy, and she goes, okay, he looks pretty strong to me. Okay, I think in my two and a half years of experience of life, I found him to be pretty trustworthy. I I think I could possibly trust him. Am I willing to do it? Maybe, maybe, yes, let's go for it. And she jumps, and what happens? He drops her. No, 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 he, he, he doesn't drop her. No, 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 he catches her. And as he does so, little by little, the fear... It moves and begins to trust. And then she goes round again up to the edge of the pool and she thinks, can I trust him? Oh no, that was quite hard. The water was quite cold. I'm not sure. But actually he did catch me and I don't think he's going to drop me this time. I think he'll probably catch me again. So I'm going to jump. Yes, she jumps and gets caught again. And fear diminishes and trust develops. And she goes again and you get the picture. Fear diminishes and trust develops. And as we do that and as we move and as we take a step Trust grows and fear shrinks. Okay, thanks, Philip. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone want to come up and compete against Philip? No, no, we haven't got time for that. All right, thanks, Philip. Thank you very much. You see the point. When you take a step and you realize God is with you, God is for you, and he'll help you in it, fear diminishes and trust grows. When Peter took that step, He would have just thought, I can't even conceive of how he would have felt, but I'm walking on water. I'm walking on water. And he's looking at Jesus and he's thinking, this man, this Jesus, he's allowing me just to do this, to walk on water. And he's thinking, this is great. 
And Jesus says to us, come. He says, take a step towards me. Take a risk. John Alberg writes, when you do this, you'll get a little stronger inside. But when you wimp out by refusing to take the difficult step or saying the hard word, you die a little. And if that becomes a pattern, over time you'll come to see yourself as someone who cannot cope with life's greatest challenges. Where there ought to be an inner core of strength and resolve, you will experience fear and anxiety instead. And I'm aware in this room, some of you may be thinking that actually that describes where I am right now. I've actually done that. I've actually said no time and time again. And to be honest, I'm just fearful all the time. It feels like there's no inner core in me. And what I want to say to you, if that's you, is this. It's never too late to say, yes, I'm going to put my trust in you, God. Susan Jeffers again says, pushing through the fear is less frightening than living with the underlying fear that comes from a feeling of helplessness. That moment you push through, as those guys did in that advert, they push through. It's tough, there's loads of fear there, but it's far better to do that than live in the long term with an underlying fear of everything around you because you have pushed through. Second reason we don't take a step, the second growth inhibitor is this. You don't know what step to take. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this, but we live in a world, don't we, where there's so much choice. The internet has opened up a whole new world. And a few years back, our TV went kaput. And uh, I said, so we need to get a new TV. I was like, it's no problem. I'll just go along to Curry's, you know, pick up maybe a flat screen, no worries, and find it. And then as you walk into the store, what do you discover? Wow, a whole raft of options and possibilities. It's like this toy store, this magic world where you can choose anything. And you're like, wow, all sorts of different sizes. You've got your card screens. You've got your smart TVs that hook up to the internet. You've got, even got 3D TVs, which we have at home, amazingly. We only used it once, but it was great. Uh, but it's, if it was just that, it would be fine. But it's the fact that it, even bread. Like Sarah once, she said, can you go and grab some bread? I said, yeah, fine. What do you want? Whole grain? Yeah, fine. You get into the store. Go to the bread aisle. Whole grain. Hovis. Warburton's. Sainsbury's own. You know, you've got so many choices. And that's the thing. Sometimes when we're in a trial or we're thinking, I want to grow in God, you're sometimes not sure which step to take or where you need to go. But Peter seemed to get it. He just saw Jesus arrive. And as we read, all the disciples thought he was a ghost and they would have been scared, thinking, oh no. But when Jesus said, do not fear, it is I, Peter just thought, I want to be where he is. Even though he's in the middle of a lake in a crazy storm, he sees something that the other disciples miss. He thinks, I want to be there because I'd rather be there with the waves swelling, the lightning flashing, the wind howling, the thunder rolling with him than be in the comfort of my boat without him. I want to be there. I want to go on an adventure. I want to move forward with Jesus even though it looks scary. And so he took a step to Jesus. Now, are there times in life when you think, I don't know where to go? It might be that you're struggling with depression or anxiety. I know how debilitating this is. I've experienced a lengthy time, several years of depression. And when you're in that situation, you've got no energy. You've got nothing you can give. You don't know what to do. You want to get out of there, but you don't know how to get out of there. 
And the best piece of advice that I was given in that situation was simply this. Do something. Take a step. Take any step. And I'm like, what do you mean take any step? And this person said to me, get yourself a bike, get on it and just ride. So I did literally that. I got on it, bought a bike, got on it and rode. And I took a step. And do you know what? That one step led to another step, which led to another step. And I found myself coming through. Someone summed it up really well in a blog they wrote about climbing in Colorado. They said they were a novice climber, very inexperienced. They'd never really climbed before. They found themselves, he said, found himself in Colorado with some friends, experienced climbers, climbing up a rock face. And he was there. He climbed up and he got to a moment where he just thought, man, I'm stuck. And he realized that the bits that he was hanging on to were about two centimeters away from the rock face, barely protruding. And he had these tiny little rocks beneath him. And uh, he, he was hot and he was sweaty and he was struggling and hyperventilating. And he's just thinking, I'm stuck here. I can't go anywhere. And looking up, it just looked smooth. There was nothing to hold on to, nothing. And he just thought, oh no, what am I going to do? And I've got a choice. Either I freeze here and stay, or I just move somewhere. And the only move he could see was down a slanted uh, face down below him, and he just thought, I I just need to move, even though it's counterintuitive. How am I going to get to the top if I go that way? But actually, he realized as he shifted a few feet, just a few feet, he looked up again, and the view had changed. Suddenly, he could see, oh, there's a handhold there. There's one there. Okay, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. And he moved and he moved. And eventually he gets to the top. And here's the thing, he said. If I hadn't made that one earlier change in my position, my perspective would never have shifted and I'd never have been able to move forward. If I hadn't decided to change something, even though I doubted what I was doing was going to help in any way, I'd have remained stuck. And sometimes, even if the way isn't clear, you just need to change something, almost anything. Martin Luther King once said this, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step. And one of my favorite verses in scripture is this, Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love that verse. Do you know what's interesting about it? Where's the lamp pointing? At my feet. This is not a floodlight. Sometimes we say to God, I want your word to be like a floodlight, a light up the whole way so I can see exactly where I'm going. No, it says your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I can only just see the way ahead. And it means this, that you have to trust in God. My third question is this. What do you learn when you take a step? Well, the first thing you learn is this. I can do it. When our eldest, again, Hudson, was crawling, now he crawled, so he was a bit more advanced than I was, he went to start walking and he kind of got up, as the little kids do, and my youngest Matilda is at this stage now, and he kind of took a step and, and, and thought, well, this is kind of wobbly, but I can do it. And you could see his face lighting up. As he moved, as he got somewhere, as he took some steps, and you could see that sudden realization dawn on him, I can do it. Taking action is very powerful. Someone once said that one small step of action is worth a hundred internal pep talks. Could you imagine if Peter was there, he was about to go, and he's just, 
just sitting there giving himself a pep talk. Oh, yeah, pros and cons. Should I? Shouldn't I? Maybe. Oh, I'm feeling pretty confident, but I'm not quite sure. If he forever did that, he would have struggled. But taking a step is more powerful. The second thing you can learn when you take a step is this. I will certainly fail. Now, that is encouraging, isn't it? If you go away from today, Andy just said, if I take a step, I'm going to fail. Brilliant. Lovely. It's funny because the same person who said one small step of action is worth 100 internal pet talks followed this up immediately by saying, but you must remember one thing. You must be willing to fail. Peter experienced the exhilaration of walking on water. Wow, in a storm, amazing. But being human, it was almost inevitable that he would eventually wake up to the reality of what was going on and see the huge waves around him and take his eyes off Jesus. Stepping out of the boat means risking failure. In the film Chariots of Fire, the great English runner Harold Abrams runs against the Scottish champion Eric Liddell and loses for the first time in his life. The pain of failure is so great, he decides he cannot race again. His girlfriend Sybil says, Harold, this is absolutely ridiculous. It's a race you've lost, not a relative. Nobody's dead. Anyone here, any men here know that? You know, uh, yeah. Nobody's dead, Harold, Harold moans, I have lost. I know, I was there. I remember watching you. It was marvellous. You were marvellous. He was more marvellous, that's all. On that day, the best man won. He was ahead. There was nothing you could have done. He won fair and square. Well, that's it, Abraham says. If you can't take a beating, perhaps it's for the best. I don't run to take a beating. I run to win, Harold shouts. If I can't win, I won't run. And Sybil pauses and then says to him firmly, if you don't run, you can't win. If you don't run, you can't win. If you don't take a step, you won't grow. Having a balanced view of those moments where we fail helps us to grow. There was once a ceramics teacher who divided his class into two groups, and one group would be graded solely on the quantity of the work that they produced, and the other one would be graded on the quality of their work. You can imagine the pupils in the quantity group frantically going, right, we need to produce these, this amount in order to get an A. We need to crack on and get on with it. And you can imagine the quality group sitting there pondering, stroking their beards, thinking, hmm, let's just plan and prepare before we make a start. They only had to produce one pot, but it had to be amazing. Guess which group produced the highest quality pots? The quantity group seems that while the quantity group kept churning out pots, they were continually learning from their disasters and growing as artists. The quality group sat around theorizing about perfection and worrying about it, but they never actually got any better. I don't know if you're a perfectionist here. I'm a bit like that. I can just sit and wait and just think, oh, I've got to get everything perfect before I even try to do anything. Trying and failing, learning from failure and trying again works a lot better than waiting for perfection. No pot, no matter how misshapen, is really a failure. Each is just another step on the road to an A. The third thing we learn when we take a step is this. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Do you know what? When Peter walked out, it says that he started sinking and Jesus simply reached out his hand to grab him. What does that mean? Well, it means that Peter had almost made it. 
Jesus didn't need to go, oh no, Peter, you're sinking. You're still like 50 meters away. Oh no, I better quickly run and come to you and then grab you. No, it simply says that Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. At, that, at those moments when we look at the storm and we begin to sink, as we so often do, Jesus is right there. He is ready to grab and to save and to rescue and to redeem and to help and to come alongside. Isn't that great news? And when the disciples were sitting in that boat for 10 to 12 hours doing nothing but straining on the oars, hoping to survive, they must have wondered, where is Jesus? Perhaps they thought, in my darkest hour, he has abandoned us. And do you know what it says in Mark's version of the story? Mark 6.48 profoundly says, Jesus saw the disciples straining on the oars. Even though he was up on the mountainside several miles away, it was dark. He wouldn't have physically been able to see them. He was aware of their plight. And when God sends you into a storm, he is responsible for you. He watches you. And sometimes you think, where is he? Where is God? But he's right there. He is watching you and comes to you at the right time. When Hudson began to walk, if I'd forever stood next to him trying to ensure he'd, whoa, didn't fall and taking him, yeah, grabbing him at every moment, he would have struggled and took longer to learn. But when I took a step back and watched and moved in when the moment was right, he grew and he developed. Jesus is faithful. He watches over you. He comes to you at the right time. He saves you. What can I do? What steps can I take? Well, in light of what I've talked about this morning, some of you may need to just take a small step. You might just need to just do something, anything, to get you out from where you are. Just a step. For some of you, it might be a big step. It might be a big step of faith, a change of career, or a big move. Now notice when Peter walked on the water, he didn't just jump out of the boat. He said, Lord, if it is you, command me. And Jesus said, come. And when you're making a big decision, you don't want to just jump out of the boat. But you want to say, God, if it's you, tell me to come and allow him to speak to you. You might need to just spend time praying or you might need to seek the counsel of friends and family. But some of you may have already heard the call to come. And for you, actually, your step is to take a step of faith. It's to be bold. It's to go. So what can we do? What are the things we could do? Well, as we've learned today, you could join a group. So for some of you, you may just want to join a group if you've not already done so. And just go, I need to surround myself with some people I can share my life with and and be close to. Some of you, you might want to join the Alpha course. You might be in just in the early stages of your journey and you're thinking, I'm not sure about all this. Thursday nights at the Catford site starting on the 3rd of May. It's a great course and you can move in your spiritual life if you go on it. For some of you, it might be listening to Kemi and her preach earlier on. I thought, man, I don't need to preach. She's just preached. And going on the Freedom in Christ course, we've got a men's course and a women's course. The men's starting on uh, the, the 9th of May, Wednesday, and the women's starting on Thursday, the 10th of May. It's a great course. It goes into a lot of what I've been talking about today, about stepping out and overcoming fear and, and moving forward in God. For some of you, it might be baptism, getting baptized. For others of you, it might be speaking to someone that you've not spoken to for years. And some of you, it might just be reading something, reading a book 
A lot of what I've spoken about today can be found in a book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Step Out of the Boat by John Altberg. And some of you, it might just be a case of reading a book like that and allowing God to challenge you. For some of you, it just might be, I just need to put the kettle on. I need to do something small just to help me. Let me finish by asking you this. Who would you rather be, Peter or one of the other 11 disciples? I know what my answer is. The band would like to come up. I'm just going to pray for us now. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful and a loving and a powerful God. And I thank you that your heart for us is that you want us to grow in you. And so I pray this morning as we sit here and as we think about the things that we have in our life, our challenges, the storms perhaps that are either coming or we're in the midst of at the moment, Lord God, I pray for your grace to come to us. Thank you that you are near, that you are close by, that you walk alongside and you promise to be with us. Now the band are going to just start playing now. I think Phil's just going to play. play. And as he does so, on your chairs, you've got these um, little cards. It says, what steps can I take? I want to encourage you and challenge you now, just as the band are playing, we're going to sing one last song in a moment. It's just to think to yourself, is there anything that I need to do? Is there any step that I need to take? Is there a situation that needs to be sorted out? And it might just be one thing, or it could be three things that you think, oh yeah, I want to do this and this. I'd encourage you right now just to write that down and maybe just think about it. Maybe pray into the situation and to keep this card on you through this week. And maybe just think to yourself, God, I just need you to help me in this situation. I want to take this step and I want you to go with me. So let's, why don't we do that as the band play right now. Just give you like a a moment just to do that, to write that. And then Phil will just lead us into one last song as we close.